The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Rob Yorn Lamp. Yorn Lamp was robbed by me, and your sleep was disturbed by me as well. I'm a disturbing young gentleman here to rub your lamp. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on one second. I, I thought I heard someone else. Uh, no, no, let me let me rub you. What you're hearing is my mystical. Wait, you have a dishwasher? And it gets very messy in here. Okay, but if you have a dishwasher and I ru- I rubbed you because you were you were a dirty About seven thousand years ago, kids were sticking those tide pods places. I've watched it on the Fox News yeah, and friends. And another the fox that also lives in the lamp has uh, No, I'm familiar with the fox. Yes. He, he, he's talking to a lot of the elders over at, at town, and, and they're just believing everything the fox is saying. It's bizarre. Um, what does the fox say? Oh, that's so 4,000 years ago. Oh, oh, we're going with this Aladdin uh, theory here. Okay. Uh, yes. You get... Three guests you can will into existence on your podcast by talking about them on the show, perhaps doing spotlight episodes of all of these three. You can will three of them into existence. Jack White. Will not. <laughs> so, back in the lamp, mister. You can will three of them into existence. Now the first one, I've 
The baby does love to rub upon things. Yeah. Um, that was the Olivia G one. You got that one. You, you guessed that one. But you get two Okay. Um, gonna have to go with Meg White. I haven't done Spotlight on that one yet. He's getting, he's getting a little British. Oh. Yeah, he's genius. This Jin is, uh, is really... You know who he reminds he reminds me of the, the pilot from the Mummy franchise, the one that dies in the first Multicultural. one. Multicultural. That was a freebie. All right. <laughs> yes, I did, and I'd love to have that. He's a little Carl oh. there, too. <laughs> the genie was Carl this whole time. Sorry, Bobby. My name's Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host to this Jack White podcast we do called The Third Men. Yes, and I am your other co-host known as James Kaminsky, the genie rubber himself. (laughs) Sitting over there just rubbing the lamp all day. He doesn't want to work. He just wants a rub on the lamp all day, huh? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's That's not a euphemism. This is a Jack White history podcast in which we, uh, we go over Third Man records and... Jack White stuff and movies and TV shows. And occasionally, Paul, we have some famous people on here. Some people who are involved in the things that we're talking about. And they want to talk to us, or at least, at the very least, decide to talk to us. Well, this one was a special one for us because, uh, as we mentioned in the hilarious genie bit at the top, Mm -hmm. we have on the show today Mr. Bobby Harlow, founder and frontman of the Detroit Rock and Rollers, The Go, of course, which were just featured in the Third Man Records vault package. I believe it's number 41. Somebody write it and correct me if that's wrong. Of their debut 1999 album, What You Doing? And we are just thrilled to talk to Bobby because... This new vault package is so amazing. We're so happy with it. And, you know, he gives us the lowdown on the whole thing. You know, we got the guy on the ground floor, the founder of the feast, the Bobby of the Harlow. He's here. He's talking to us. We've got the feast founder Uh, on this here episode. I'm very excited for you all to hear it. We were not expecting it. It is also not the first time we have heard from Bobby. We had a stop breaking down courtesy of Bobby Harlow at this point, I think a year ago. Yeah. I remember because I was in a baby prep class. I want to say it was the class where they teach you how to how to bathe the child. Mm. And I was on the bathroom break, you know, because all the pregnant women have to leave and go to the bathroom every five minutes. And so I was out there on the on the bathroom break, and I went, "Hey, Bobby Harlow," and my wife went, "I'm very pregnant, and I don't care." <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I know the technique they were teaching you, and uh, it's wrong. I know. That you're inclined to dip the baby by the feet headfirst into a big pool of water uh, and kind of swish vigorously to get all the dirt off. But that's not how you do it. Very vigorously. Yeah, don't do that. Um, Anyway, that's... called the shake the baby technique. Don't shake the baby. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah, we had heard from Bobby. And at that time, you know, we didn't... quite able to get a uh, a show together with them and then lo and behold boom we were able to do it for this one so we are very 
happy and very excited to do that and we can't wait for y'all to listen to it and uh, i you know i don't think we're gonna it was a long one uh and i don't think we're gonna waste any more time but first Mm -hmm. before we get to all that james is there something we should stop doing be it's yeah let's call it that let's just stop a breaking down oh it's a stop a breaking down stop breaking down james would you like to tell the people what stop breaking down is i'd love to paul it's when we get something just straight up wrong or marginally incorrect is probably a more polite way to say it and um people out there listening, uh, like yourselves, tell us how we got it wrong, and we try to correct that wrong hood. Wrong hood? The yeah. wrong hood, yeah. The, the wrong hood uh, in this here segment. Yeah, this one's kind of a mix of stop breaking down and I think a smell of fact wherein we learn a new fact and smell it for you all live. Stop smelling down. This comes courtesy of Tam Davis, third person in spirit, always Tam Davis who gives us a little more background on the teen on the Dean Fertitta discussion that we began. Although Teen with... Fertitta sounds like a delightful <laughs> spin-off. Fertitta. Yeah, it's it's about him, his youth. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, skate, he's skateboarding off to a Queens of the Stone Age tryout. Imagine. Oh man. He's solving crimes for some reason because the Hanna-Barbera like kids versions were always crime solving, I think. The Hanna-Barbera Dean Fertitta <laughs> show called Teen Fertitta. Maybe he, he t- maybe he turns into a car like Turbo Teen. Well, I think he reports to the queen of the Stone Ooh. Age, and he has to go solve, I guess, time mysteries. Ooh, yes, I like this. Do they involve weather, perhaps? Or deaf people? Does um, he save Mozart? Was Mozart deaf? I can't remember. I feel like one of them was, or maybe they weren't. He's got a hot rod that he drives into the past, and he's going to make a difference and um, really just skateboard into our hearts with with this new show. Thank you, Teen Fertitta. Does Teen Fertitta have a love interest? Is it the princess of the stone age? Yeah, well... Does he have an illicit romance? Is it forbidden love? Is it very hot? I'll save you the trouble. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's Oogla. Oogla is the... The princess of the Stone Age, um, and uh, Teen Fertitta obviously comes back often to visit with Ukla. He's not that into her; she's real into him. Uh, Ooh, interesting yeah, spin yeah, on it. Yeah, well, she's got a lot of interesting spin because she hits him with a war stick bat. Whoa! But it's not a—it's not a war stick bat. It's a like an actual war club, and yeah, um, yeah she hits him over the head and brings him into her cave. And, uh, you know... I'm dying to know where this is going. They solve mysteries. Oh, they solve mysteries from the... It's more like a Hannibal-type situation where the hunter... Hannibal... Hannibal Barbera. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Paul, (laughs) Hannibal was also a guy who rode elephants into Rome. So let's stop messing around with this dumb show pitch and start getting to this breaking down... I promised you and myself this would be a tight 15 minutes, and then we started talking about Teen Fertitta, the time cop, and I'm really, really into it. I kind of just want to talk <laughs> about got, that for another couple a hours. He's saber-toothed tiger or something as a pet, as like a sidekick pet. He's got to have a pet. He does have to have a pet. Is he a little aloof, do you think? Well, yeah, he's a cool, hip guy. 
like I said, he's skateboarding while driving his hot rod. We did cover the skateboarding. Skate- so yeah. <laughs> he, has his, he has the hot rod on auto. It's self-driving I'm, hot rod, and he's on the back like Marty McFly. I'm picturing a Marty McFly-like character who, you know, is from the animated series, obviously. We can't go with the, the real one. Um, <laughs> this is good. This is all real good. All this all this is usable. Anyway, Dean Fertitta, not to be confused with Teen Fertitta, this uh, Sunday on... Uh, on Fox Kids. Fox Kids? Fox Kids. <laughs> <laughs> the fox in that genie bottle is going to be very into this. A lot of controversial <laughs> opinions from yeah. Teen Fertitta. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we had a discussion with... What the f*** are we talking about? We had a discussion with third man for that week, Josh Aiken, about Dean Fertitta basically... like We were like, well, why doesn't he just become an honorary member of the Tours at this point? And Tam Davis actually shared some pertinent insight there and also provided a link to uh, a, a white swirl forum page where they talked about it a little bit more. But I found this stuff, just the cliff notes here, interesting from Tam, where she says she read an interview from the later Lazaretto tour period where Jack mentioned that Dean Fertitta actually came to him after Ike Owens died during the Lazaretto tour and said, I've been learning the songs on the album and offered to fill in for Ike on the rest of the tour. So that's we were saying like, ah, Dean always gets the bum jobs. He always has to do this. And we, I think we actually literally called out the fact that he stood in for Ike after he died. We're like, whoa, that must have been rough. He asked to do it. And that's amazing. I did mm-hmm. not know that. He did his homework and learned all of the material. And he had a tough act to follow. And he was willing to do it and came to Jack and helped out uh, where he could. So that's, yeah, that's the opposite of a bum job. He was uh, responsible for his own fate there. The uh, other part of this that Tam shared, and it's funny because I was actually reading about this the other day in a book about music business teams and all the different finance that goes into that type of thing. But, you know, if the Racks did make Dean an official part of the band, well, then they're suddenly splitting profits with another person. They're splitting revenue. They're splitting their gross. They're splitting their take home. And that significantly reduces the monies for the other members in the group and so you know having him on as an auxiliary player who can kind of tune in and tune out almost a hired gun type makes more financial sense for the band probably makes more sense for dean who doesn't then have to commit all this time and attention during the recording process and things like that so i hadn't even actually considered the financial side of things we don't know if that tours money is getting split for even ways. I kind of doubt it, but I don't know, actually. Uh, for all we know, they could all be making the same thing. That's pure speculation. I just feel like... Let's not speculate on rumor here. Uh, either it's not way. even a rumor. I'm just saying, I mean, maybe I'm starting it. I'm Paul, starting you're st- the Paul, the fox has already run away, and it's starting to tell people. <laughs> Sorry to tell the old <laughs> the el- The elders. <laughs> anyway. All about this conspiracy. Yeah. I hadn't considered the monetary aspect of it, and uh, Tam is dead on here, and the folks in the White Swirl Room are, are uh, dead on. All kinds of good reasons why Dean perhaps wouldn't or shouldn't or couldn't join the Tours on an official basis. You know, we like it just the same with him as an auxiliary player, I think. Well, he's still there, and I'm glad to see him, and every time I'm like, hey, that's Dean Fertitta of Queens <laughs> of the Stone Age and Dead Weather fame. He yeah. can uh he I wonder can, if that he can princess play. will ever... We'll ever, you know, finally get her mitts. Oogla, 
Ugla would be proud. I'm really into this idea, James. I'm very, very much into it. And that's been uh, Stop a Breaking Down. That's, well, I think we broke down during this Stop Breaking Down. It's a Stop a Breaking Down. Stop a gonna bust your brain down. Yeah, to make you lose your mind. We're going to get into this interview here. No more time a wasting, but we should say at the start of this, much like the dishwasher you're hearing run in the background of my audio right now, we had a... All right. This audio isn't the best. I mean, the content is fine. Uh, Bobby was a delight. Love talking to Bobby. It is a phone call, so it's a little more garbled. It's a little more akin to the Dominic Davis or the Fats Kaplan or the some of these other ones we've done over a phone call. And we also had a little bit of a hiccup with James's audio. Yeah, my bad. So uh, James is going to be sounding a little bit like he's uh, living inside the genie bottle. <laughs> from the Help. opening bit. Help me, stranger. I'm trapped in here. Yeah. And so we apologize for that. It is interesting stuff, though, and we felt in the end that it was uh, it was clean enough to present to you all. So we'll, uh, we always endeavor to do better and to do more, but in this case, you know, we're... You know, I mean, it's good enough. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Thanks for your Patreon money. Here's some good enough. <laughs> That's a cool Bobby Harlow interview. What do you say we played for the people? Let's get to this awesome interview, Paul. I'm super excited. Sorry that I sound like I'm trapped. Goodbye. That's not you know, to... We should have done that before <laughs> we were on the line with you, Bobby. But, um, it's so you get your uh, interviews to feel like they're on peyote right before you start getting <laughs> 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 well, anyway. well, Me and Paul both have a strip of LSD, and we both had to take it at the exact right time. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, we are both very high right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was probably the, by the way, that was probably the best um, start to any interview I've ever had. <laughs> Boy, the question. Boy, that, uh, that I've been is doing like, this like, for a while. I've been doing this for like 20 years. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's high praise. I, I, gotta, I gotta say, that's like the least embarrassing one we've ever done, so I would have hate for you to have heard some of those other ones. We wasted about an hour of Ben Blackwell's time futzing with our audio equipment. It was a, a total nightmare. Um, yeah. Ben Blackwell's a surly man. You don't want to, you don't want to, you know, mess around with him too much. He is pretty surly. I saw him wrestle uh, Pat Pantano one time backstage uh, <laughs> at the Dirtbomb show, and Ben won. <laughs> he won. Oh, oh. well, <laughs> see that surprises me because Pat's also pretty surly. So <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's not. Ben had a height advantage. Plus, Ben is like a bear. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, but I heard that Pat, when he went down to Australia, I heard that he's been training with jiu-jitsu and also, like, some aboriginal fighting techniques. So, like, I feel like a rematch would be in Pat's favor. Yeah. Pat uh, has been training in jiu-jitsu? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm also making all of that up. So. In Australia? Australian jiu-jitsu? <laughs> Paul's just envisioning him hitting someone with a didgeridoo. How many times do I have to tell you guys I'm super high right now? 
Well, that's the only question. <laughs> okay, let's actually, James, let's start this like uh, like the not professionals we are. We would like to welcome our very special guest this week, Bobby Harlow of The Go, the man, the myth, the legend, the Harlow. Hello, Bobby. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. How are you, James? Oh. Good. Did I get that right? Did I get that fall? <laughs> well, you, were, you didn't no. get it, but close. No, I took a shot. I had a 50-50. I lost. You were wrong, and we're going to cut the line. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we also aim to make our guests feel very uncomfortable at the start of these things, too. Uh, you can. I'm wearing slacks right now. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Fair enough. Thank you so yeah. much. For coming on the show, we really appreciate it. Me and Paul have both been huge fans uh, since we started diving into every musical tidbit that Detroit had to offer. The Go came up so much, and your name is like cemented in Detroit rock legacy. We've both been listening to your music for a long time. We're huge fans. So, first of all, thank you for the music. Thank you for coming on, and we are both super excited to have you here. Oh, thanks a lot. Well, that makes me feel good. Whether it's true or not, I I don't I don't know I don't think so. But I appreciate you, I appreciate you saying so. No, it's 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 true. We uh, James James had been a fan of uh, the uh, we, we could write that down and he get it notarized <laughs> later. This is a signed yeah. document. I got my wall. <laughs> now James had been a James had been a big fan even prior to myself, and then we, we did an episode about the go. And I, during that episode, pledged to learn more about your work. And I took that dive now going a couple of years back. And my God, I really fell in love with your stuff. It's just, it's such in the same vein as all the music that James and I enjoy. I mean, from the 60s and 70s influences, which are for sure there, but in your songwriting and in the beautiful melody that you put next to all this crunchy rock it's kind of like a, the like a, a wonderful rock and roll cocktail i was surprised that i had never really enjoyed as much as i sh- should have been for all these years so yeah we're we're both big fans and and love your stuff man thanks well i love you too okay no, well, thank you yeah. um let's dive into the hard-hitting questions now that we've done it, yeah. um, i think i'm thinking you guys talk or talk about do you want to interview us inside the table um, to turn so yes. quickly. <laughs> so early in the interview, tables turned. <laughs> what does third man say? <laughs> Your tables have not turned yet. Um, Your tables? <laughs> Your table's not dead yet. Well, let's talk about some of the music before the go. Before we get into the go, I read some interviews with you in which you talked about recording two albums when you were 21. Dr. Puerco Drinks the Ooze and a 12-track oh, yeah. psychedelic rocker. From which we understand those are still under lock and key. Is there any hope of release in the future? And can you describe those albums to us? <laughs> yeah, um, and I know, the, I know what you're what you're referencing the interview, and uh, it's it's a funny one. You know, I have a lot of fun in interviews because uh, we just we just sort of have a tendency to sometimes amuse ourselves, don't we? Just that's what, what, what we do in life. And, uh, and I, uh, I like to have fun with interviews. And so when people write in like that, sometimes they would, you know, write, write all their questions. And so I would just, uh, write these little, you know, a novel to every, every <laughs> mention. Sometimes, sometimes they'll print the whole thing, which is, uh, I would print, they just post it online, but you know, 
There's no print involved. No one's printing any. No one's printing my interviews, by the way. <laughs> no one's going to listen to this, by the way. We may as well stay on the phone for like three, four hours. It's not going to fucking matter. But, um, so, right. So, in um, Grand Rapids, and actually, I was turning 21. One of them started when I was 19, and I'm working on it right now, actually. Really? Funny enough. So, way back when, I said, no, I'm never going to flip this out. And, um, and so, yeah, it's 25 years old. So I've got an album that's 25 years old. It's my debut uh, solo record that I haven't put out in 25 years. Wow, and I'm excited wow. to put it out now. That's amazing. Well, I just came across it, so I was, like, cleaning out some stuff. I was going through boxes and doing some things. But probably, actually, for the uh, third man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so those guys were asking me, like, what do you got? you got anything, you know, interesting? And I thought, ah, I've got some stuff. And I tried to find the news come up. <laughs> Yeah, the doctor for yeah. Well, let me tell you, I've got Doctor Puerca, and then Jack said, "We don't, we don't care. No one cares." But um, no, I. So the Doctor Puerco record. So there's there's two albums. So I was in Grand Rapids, and I had a friend who was uh, who was into animation, and he was an artist, and he was you know starting. He was like interning at some you know studio or whatever. So we were going to do a cartoon. So we came up with this cartoon idea, and then I was just going to do all the music. And so I did all of the music, and then he did none of the cartoon. Oh, no. So then I, I yeah, so then, um, oh, uh, but whatever, yeah. you know, it was fun. So there's that one. That suddenly makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, and it's really stupid, you know, but. I'm an animator by trade. Can Dr. Puerco Drinks the Ooze become a thing? <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know if it would uh, be that. I don't know if it should. It probably, it probably shouldn't. You know, <laughs> that's fair. It probably that's should. fair. <laughs> well, look, I didn't think we were going to be talking about this, so it's pretty funny. But, um, you know, when you're 19, 20 years old, I mean, some people are geniuses at 19, 20 years old. I, I don't know what Neil Diamond was writing at 19 or 20, but it was probably way better than anything I could. And so uh, I wrote some really shitty songs, and some of them are on that Dr. Porco record. Now, on the other hand, for some reason, I managed to squeeze out one record, a batch of like 10 songs that are pretty good. And I listened back to them and thought, well, this should probably come out. So I played a little bit for a couple of friends, and, and then they liked it. And I thought, well, okay, I should just get this up. So I'm, I'm working on it now. Wow. Yeah, so I think, um, I think I'm going to have it out like next year in the spring or something oh, that's really exciting for me actually yeah because i don't know who else ever made an album and then sat on it for 25 years and that <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense nobody does that so i'm really excited that i did that on accident and the reason why i did that is because the minute it was recorded after it was done I got involved with uh, the two guys that are in the go, John and Mark, and then I just it wasn't a priority anymore. Right. That was right. the only priority was the go. So what a wonderful transition! I have a question for you about the name Railface Wonder Wheel. That's the proto incarnation of the go. Where the hell did that name come from? Oh, well, that's got nothing to do with me. No, the, the Railface Wonder Wheel was John and oh, okay. the go. Okay, that was okay. their band that they had with another friend, uh, Christopher. Uh, and they got together in Mark's basement and played music, and they were calling it the Real Face Wonder Wheel. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. And then you all fused yeah, yeah. together and became the go. Yeah, the Wonder Wheel, I don't know what that would be, I suppose. I mean, 
is the inflatable wheel in the movie The Toy with Richard Pryor? Is that the Wonder Wheel? Okay, stop, Wonder Wheel. Nice Wonder Wheel. One. Sorry, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. And, uh, okay. I'm going to say uh, yes, and it is now <laughs> canon. Uh, Richard Pryor is now <laughs> part of Real Face Wonder Wheel. I think I think that's the Wonder Wheel. I don't know what I don't know about the real face. I'm the Wonder Wheel champion of the world. Okay. Speaking of John Krautner, you were doing a lot of writing by yourself, doing solo stuff. We talked about that a little bit. Writing with John was that any different? Were there any pros or cons to dual writing like that? Or you know, what were the things you enjoy about writing alone versus what do you enjoy about writing with a partner? Well, I guess. Writing alone, you know, you just get to do whatever you want, and there's nobody that you have to worry about, sort of. You know, if you're writing art, so if you're writing as a team, then I guess I have, I'm more conscious of representing that other person. You know what I mean? That they have to sort of stand behind it. So I don't think that I would take as many risks right, as a right. writer or say some things that maybe this other person wouldn't be able to sort of get with. Sure. Which is good, because then you work within, like, parameters, and that's how you get maybe good at a certain style. Whereas when you write without somebody else, then I can just, you know, I, I guess it's a little bit more fearless, maybe. Well, But sure. it doesn't always mean it's, it's very good, you know? Because <laughs> you can take risks, and then it's just not, you know, doesn't work out. I can't rap. I can't write rap. I can't rap. I can't write rap. I don't know why. It's frustrating. I mean, we could have you try right here, right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> do you guys rap? Do you want to rap? Uh, we we like it, but I, we can't do it. <laughs> I mean, speak for yourself, it's James. Really hard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's hard. Oh, well, I don't have anything written down, you see, yeah. but I got very good at reciting Weird Al uh, raps on the schoolyard. So uh, let me tell you, I'm pretty good. <laughs> uh, Weird Al, yeah. You know, not to not to brag or anything, but I'm pretty good. Maybe we should have a battle right now. You want to have a battle? <laughs> you saying you want to battle me? I'd like to hear you guys battle. <laughs> One, two, three, go. Battle. James versus Paul. Well, my name is James, and I'm here to say... Oh, that we, we've got an interview going in a haphazard way. We're very embarrassed right now. That's the worst um, rap I've ever heard. It was a terrible rap. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned taking risks with writing alone versus writing with a partner is there anything you found beneficial about the real-time editing i guess or the real-time like feedback that comes with writing with a partner did you think of it more like a hang-up or an advantage i don't think that either uh john or i thought in those terms i think that when we first got together and started writing you know we'd sit down in a in a room or whatever, you know, we would sit down on the, we'd get in a fucking rocket ship and fly to the moon. We'd sit down in the room. Yeah. Or you just sit down in a room. We sat down in a room. This isn't blowing your mind already. I don't know what it is. Uh, and, um, and we would just have a couple of guitars. So we'd each have a guitar and then we we try to fucking laugh and say, well, you know, we're going to write a hit song. It's time to write a hit song. Let's yeah. not bullshit yeah. each other. We're writing a hit song, so let's go. You know, right, and, right. Uh, and it would be a lot of fun. We were into like that whole 
sort of real building, like the Carol King and Jerry Goffin and yeah, yeah. even Paul Simon was at the Brill building and that sort of like gun to your head, you're on the clock, you've got, you know, your instrument, you have to write a hit song by the end of the day. You know, we really love that idea. We always wish that there was something like that we could do. Of course, we have to time travel because we're weird and we love the 60s. You could do that today. You could be that same staff songwriter for Britney Spears. Yeah, sure. There's a whole television show about that now, I think. Is there? Britney Spears, by the way, look at that's dated, too. I'm even retro in the modern world. You know, that's... Even when I try to be modern, I'm still retro. I'm talking about Britney Spears. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Uh, James and I are, are big Beatle fans like yourself, and we go to this uh, thing called the Fest for Beatle Fans in New York. Uh, we found out that somebody in Ringo's band was one of those songwriters for, not Britney Spears, but Ricky Martin at the time, and was writing some of his hits for him and it's there's something interesting i find about the songwriting craft and how universal it can be and if you're good at it it should be able to transcend your own image you know it should the song should be able to step outside yourself that's where you get what like you mentioned goffin king and stuff like that like when carol king was writing for the monkeys you know it it sounded like carol king true but like the monkeys were able to live in those songs so you know the song can sometimes transcend the people who are writing it that's true. Yeah. And uh, Harry Nielsen, it's the same way, you know, where he could do his own song, somebody else would do a song and have a different take on it. It would sound just as good. Right. Yeah. I, I don't really have a title. I guess you can call it the Cuddly Toys song. You're not the only cuddly toy that was ever enjoyed uh, by any boy. You're not, You're not the only choosy train that was left out in the rain the day after Santa came. You're not the only charity light that was left in the night and gave up without a fight. So now in the chronology, we're going through this here. You're together with The Go, and you guys have found yourselves in a variety of gigging situations, and the gold dollar starts to become a, a hub for this activity. It's very Cavern Club-esque for the Detroit garage community, or at the very least, the Detroit rock community at that time. Did you get a sense yeah. that something special was brewing? Or is that something more that you look back and say, oh, that was something special? Or at the time, did it feel like you guys were doing something that was going to get really big? Uh, well, you know, uh, maybe after. Maybe after it sort of started to kind of uh, take off and then more. And I, I mean, just, you know, the Detroit started to sort of get attention uh, and then there just seemed to be more people at shows and uh, more people just in the bars and in general so at first so here's the deal uh, the gold dollar was already like a thing for a long time and Mark and John and I we were doing what we were doing like in Sterling Heights which is not like close to Detroit but it was it's a suburb you know and we were just like mm -hmm. in Mark's mom's basement 
just like making all this, you know, rock music. And Detroit had that happening already down there with like bands like The Henchmen and Rocket 455. Right, right. Um, and uh, the demolition doll rods. We didn't know. We didn't know this stuff was going on. And I don't know where John met Steve Nawara, who was the bass player in Rocket 455 at the time, but, um, and the Cobras were also happening. But Steve had told us that we should go to check out the gold dollar. And so it was like one day John said, yeah, you know, Steve said we should come and check out the gold dollar and this is the first time I ever heard of it and the 4th Street Fair too so um, and it's another kind of Detroit thing and so like a festival um, and then when we did go and take a look it was really cool because it was just like this community that we were already we knew we, we should be a part of because we were doing that but in isolated in like a little bubble just blew our minds that there were other people because we thought that we were just like again kind of just crazy and obsessed with this sort of 60s way of doing things we just love those sounds those tones everything breakdown one time on the phone with me he had a he had a Marshall half stack amplifier and he got on the phone with me and he said and he was, he was upset because he just said that he really wants that guitar tone from the seeds and somehow gotta get that guitar tone he's really upset like this was a moment for him where it's like this Marshall stack is holding holding him back it's like a, a burden Ow. on his life right. you know? right. Right. I was like yeah you know I'm John we can we can do whatever we want to do you can, if you want to get a a Fender amp we could probably get one of those man you don't have to get upset <laughs> but he was important for some reason like I said kind of independently from the Detroit scene it felt important you know to be able to 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 kind of recreate those real textural sort of sticky sounds of the of the 60s those classic sounds and 70s and it felt important because there wasn't anything happening at the time really like that right you know you clicked on the radio and it was uh god you know limp <laughs> biscuit right that was or or you know what it was kid rock but it wasn't anything like that sounded like it 
it sounded like Little Richard or the seeds of just, and why? Why doesn't that still exist? Why don't people use those guitar tones? When I first saw Jack play on MTV, that was the first time I had ever heard a real guitar on MTV. Now, someone could say, what the f*** are you talking about? But honestly, it's the first time I ever heard a guitar that sounded that broken and, you know, and distorted in that way, in what I would say would be our way. Right. I literally, I'd never heard that on a TV up until that moment where I think they played fell in love with a girl. And I was like, that's the first fucking time this generation that gets tuned into MTV is hearing that guitar talk. sound was in our bones and when that sound started to rise up again in modern music it was a sigh of relief from the both of us you know thank god something sounded like led zeppelin <laughs> that other people were listening yeah. to and then and then of course it expanded beyond detroit and led to this whole indie boom which rode for a pretty darn long time it's it's in a state of i guess sort of techno limbo right now but i i have a feeling that it's going to happen again you know it's just going to take the right mix of people in the right place just like you guys found yourselves in around you know 1999 2000 yeah it's possible yeah you know whatever version of it that it will be i guess that back in 1999 2000 i guess people just it was the right time for that right people just needed that kind of i don't know Link Ray kind of garage or I guess that's like surf but you know that's sort of whatever that sound is I guess that's the sound people needed right at that time yeah something real yeah real I guess is that like a version of punk is that what punk was I don't know Yeah, punk yeah. was that right at some point punk was yeah. necessary because it was a, a, a reaction to whatever was happening 
I guess for some politically, but for at large, you would say it's a reaction like disco or some shit like that, or ELO as they like to say, which I, who I love that way, of course. But, um, <laughs> but then in, in 1999, 2000, I don't think, um, I, I don't, I don't know about other bands in Detroit, how they felt about, I mean, I know how they felt about mainstream radio. They didn't like it, but I don't know how much of their music was sort of purposefully aimed at like you know combating that there was in the go there was a real sense of like we have to do something as a re- this is a reaction to Limp Biscuit. the more that stuff got hyped the more we wanted to sound like little richard you know so I don't know, you know, but I guess coming back sort of full circle to the punk and, you know, what maybe the world needed at the time, it was just like tapped into some like collective consciousness. That's why, that's how scenes happen or that's why this many people, and, uh, and you're right, like around the world too, you know, yeah, you find out that bands in Australia, you know, are doing the same thing or you get a label like Burger that, has a very diverse um, family of artists, but they all have a common denominator. And where, why is this happening now? Right. And what's the next one? Who knows? How's Tame Impala doing? They were like the ones that really kind of got to the point where, right? They're they're huge. Tame Impala is huge. I don't know. We we listen to a lot of contemporary stuff, but I found that at least in recent memory, women have been kind of leading the way, at least in the music I'm interested in. Like Jenny Lewis is somebody who I think is still carrying the torch. Of course, she was around when you guys were doing what we're about to talk about in a moment, the, the what you're doing, but there's still some stuff happening here. I love St. Vincent, that kind of thing, but there's going to be one that really catches fire, and I feel like it just hasn't quite happened yet, but it's bound to. It's got to. But St. Vincent's not really rock, rock, right? Well, when she's shredding up there, I get the same vibe as I got from Jack shredding. And I think that the common denominator there is the honesty in her music versus what the honesty in Jack's was. And and there is a core of rock there. But yeah, obviously, yeah, it's a little more on the poppy side. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into what you're doing, because uh, we are both super excited for the third band re-release. In fact, I just got mine today and listened to the whole thing with my two-month-old baby who... Loved dancing to it. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, were there any interesting memories of creating a demo tape that's recorded in Jack's attic, I believe, or wherever his childhood home was? Um, and then there was yeah. the songwriting demos that I haven't even heard the songwriting demos. I don't even know what this. I don't even know what those are. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Okay, this has been something that Jack's wanted to do for. Um, for 15 years. I'm not even exaggerating. Like 15 years ago, um, Jack and I had a conversation where he wanted to to re-release What You Do and he wanted to do with a remix and all this sort of stuff. And at the time, I just thought, well, why? Why do we want to do that? It didn't sound like a good idea. Like, what, what's, the, what's the point? So, I thought, well, the record's out. It's a good record. People like it. You know, we're not going to remix it now. So then um, roll the clock forward 15 years later and he, wants, he still wants to do it. <laughs> so, okay. Sure, you know, that's persistent. So, um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, I didn't really have anything to do with it. I just said, sure. And Dave, if you look who's in the band and what you do on the, on the album, he works at Third Man and Dave wanted to do it. And it's a 20th anniversary. So, you know, it's like, well, if you got the energy to, to remix it and kind of go through all of it and do a brain damage on it, go for it. They came up with some stuff and they remixed it. And, and the, the, the demo, um, songwriting demo, I swear to Christ, I haven't heard. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what. I, I could be, I, I don't know if there's banter in there. I could sound like a complete asshole. Who knows? But whatever. It, it would be fine. It would be fine, too, because that would be funny. But I don't know. What is it? Does it sound good? Is it, what happens? Tell me what happens. What goes on that thing? Yeah, no, there's a little bit of banter in it. It's on the single, I think, is where you have the songwriting demo, but it's there's a little bit of studio talk, and that's that's about it. It sounds great. It's it's nice hearing other versions, because I have heard, having heard the song the same way over and over for a long time, I was very used to hearing it a certain way. And then between the three versions that we were offered, I've been able to get some different takes and different, you know, the, the words come in a second or two later before... I don't know, it's interesting to me. I always enjoy that kind of stuff, me and Paul. So for the songwriting session, which songs are there? It's all of them from the record, plus an extra one for Time for Moon. You guys, like, workshopping that song a little bit more? remember writing time for Jack. That's the funny part about that. So, okay, it's going back to me now. So, so when they said they had a songwriting demo for Time for Moon, I can't remember writing that one with him. I remember Jack coming up with the clicky little riff he did for the, um, he uses pickup switch selector yeah, yeah. to do the, the, that part with, the, with that. But I remember writing that song, so I'm kind of interested to hear what that was like. Well, well, now I'm way more interested <laughs> than I was before. I have no idea. 
maybe it's not me on there. Maybe it's somebody else. It's a. It looks like it's also pressed on mottled carpet remnant colored vinyl in celebration of the flooring <laughs> in said attic, which I find very funny. Oh, Ferdinand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the, the demo tape one. Yeah. Um, in that house, Jack had, I think, three floors. So you'd you know, come into the main floor and that was like the living room and and so that's where we did actual demos. We did demos for Ken Fowley for the Detroit movie about the head kiss. I forget what it was called. And so we, through Matt Smith, who produced uh, What You Doing, we heard that Kim wanted some songs. He wanted to go to go do some demos. So so we got into Jack's living room. Now, those were demos that were used on the original What You Doing. Right. So we recorded those demos in Jack's name living area and it was like yeah you know his television and his whatever his dining room table and, and then you know a piano you know, a little upright piano and then the kitchen whatever and go upstairs to the bedrooms and go up another floor and that's where we'd rehearse you know the go would rehearse up there and that was all decorated in red white and blue american flags and stuff up there <laughs> yeah yeah, so that's the same house where I think that's the one he got from his parents. I want to say, but that's I think that's yeah. the same house where he recorded a lot of White Stripes stuff too. A lot of a lot of good music got put down in that house, um, and it looks yeah. like it looks like on yeah. the new release. So like we had heard that Sub Pop specially requested some of those attic demos be included in the What You Doing release at that time, but it looks like some of the studio takes are being used on this new remix. When you hear What You Doing, the demos that are integrated into the record do sound markedly different, and I wonder if this was just a way of when they were approaching the remix that Jack wanted to just, I guess, streamline the sound of the album. Did you have any thoughts on that or input as such? Well, so the main remix record what that is, is um, those are all Jim Diamond recordings. So on the main record, what you're doing, those are all done in Jim Diamonds. And when we went in to record that album, so we, we didn't do a song called Get You Off at Jim's. Um, so that's why it's not on this remix. Oh, um, no, yeah, that, that was going to be a question of ours for later in the interview. We were, we were, uh, oh, okay. we were going to ask about that, yeah. isn't on the remix because we didn't record it at some time. So, and the reason is, is because we went in and we recorded all these tunes. We did this version of Meet Me at the Movies. Um, but we already had a bunch of, of demos, which have all actually come out on the Burger Go box set. So there's a cassette box set that we put out through Burger. And those have all of the Jack Wright demos that we did for the Jack Wright or the Go demos, but the, you know, the ones that have Jack on them for the Detroit Black City movie. Those are all on the to-go box set. But 
But so anyway, so we did those, and those were the ones that Sub Pop heard, and that's why they signed the band. Plus, you know, one of the A&R guy, our A&R guy at the time, Dan Traeger, he saw the band live and really liked it. Um, so anyway, we went into the studio, and we did the whole album, like any band would do. Okay, we're going we're gonna to do this professional, top to bottom. Here we go. And then when Matt Smith sent the album into Sub Pop, Sub Pop was like, yeah, this is all good, except uh, eating at the movies isn't good. Yeah. And you can get high isn't good. And where the fuck does get you off? You know? <laughs> so um, it was just decided between, you know, Matt Smith, the producer, and John Poneman, the owner of Sub Pop, and the A&R guy, Dan Trigger, that the demo versions of you get the movies and you can get high and get you off were superior. Um, and that, well, the, of the two, and then that you off should also be included because it was interesting. They just said, these have the vibe. Whatever the vibe is, that's what it needs to be. And so he scrapped the other, the meet me at the movies and the you can get high from the chip diamond session, which, is, which sounds slicker. And I still stand behind the demos. There's, I, in fact, I wish that the entire album of what you do, and I wish we just lived on in Jack Living Room, right. because I actually prefer that sound. Um, and having said that, I realize that there are a lot of people in the world that have, you know, obviously different tastes. So, hey, man, it's great if somebody likes the studio version. By the way, I think that version of Need to the Movies is shit that we recorded at Jim Diamond. <laughs> Jack disagrees. <laughs> But now we're looking forward again, 15 years, and I'm like, nah, yes, whatever. You know, some of you are like, I'm sure. electricity for you guys and if so are we ever going to get an official release of that on burger um i can't i don't know you never know okay okay that's fine you don't have to answer i mean while we're (laughs) while we're finding old albums dusting them off and putting them out you know there's another one there too (laughs) i know isn't that funny it's a lot of stuff that like the band that recorded the most stuff that never came out it's weird Um, yeah, it looks like Sub Pop actually teamed with Third Band on the Vault release, which is I don't know if it's unprecedented. It certainly took us by surprise, and we know you got to contribute some to the remix decisions, which is very cool. What was it like revisiting this record in a creative sense again after twenty years removed? The story you just told us about you know the vibe and capturing all that vibe and stuff. It sounds like you're listening back and going, "Hey, I think this I think this sounds okay." Yeah. Well, I did not contribute to it creatively at all. Oh, you didn't? I'll tell you that right now. I had nothing to do with any of this this remix stuff. And not that I'm not saying that to say like, hey, you know, this isn't my work and I want everybody to know. It's not, I'm not saying it to be like that. I'm just saying I really stayed out of it because that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to. I wanted to have the luxury of somebody else doing something and I didn't have to sweat it. Because <laughs> you know, usually, honestly, usually I'm the guy that's having, you know, I'm the guy that's like having the cold sweats over what the hell is going to happen on the record and, or what are we going to do creatively or what's the label going to do and oh God, are they going to 
are they, are they giving us any pushback or, <laughs> right. you know, cause I'm a little shell shocked cause after we, you know, we did what you're doing and then the very the second our follow up record got shelved forever. Right. Right. <laughs> I played some pop, but they never gave it back. Never, never, ever, which is crazy. But, um, so this, so usually, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty nervous person about what labels want to do and how industry people yeah. want to work and what their agendas are. However, on this one, I just said, I'm not, you guys go for it. I know it's going to sound good. Just go ahead and do whatever. And it'll be fun. And it's going to be on the vault. It's a vault release and whatever. Sounds good. Cause they were really excited about it. Cause Jack was really excited about it. Dave was really excited about it. Ben was into it, you know? Yeah. Everyone wanted to do it. They wanted to do it for so long. So, um, so I didn't contribute, and they licensed it from Sub Pop. So, so Sub Pop, it, it's a Sub Pop record. Yeah. But they, but Ferdman licensed it, and Jack and uh, Jack has done stuff with Sub Pop. He's done a single, I think. You are credited on there, just so that doesn't oh, take you by surprise. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I just wanted you to know, like you're credited as as helping do some of the mixing, or at least. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't do that. So, okay. so it just they just sent me they sent me mixes. And I listened to the album, and I just said, "Well, it sounds cool, and it sounds kind of like a gang." Okay. I said, "Well, you should you should mono mono out the vocal, send the vocal up the center or something." Okay. Another thing I said, and this is kind of this will surprise you, is um, I said you should turn up Jack's guitar. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, I'm like, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but you know, because of the third band release, people are probably going to want to hear Jack's guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a friggin' wild <laughs> shot in the dark, but they do sound good on on the record, you know. When you're listening to it, they it, they are a nice complement to what the Go is already very good at. They just what I find them to be more icing on the cake kind of thing. So yeah, everybody loves icing. Why not? Everyone loves icing. But when the, when the first mixes that came through were they were, there were some parts that were really subtle, like <laughs> blistering parts that were actually kind of subtle. I was like you can't you can't do that. You know, you gotta turn up. Turn up his guitar, man. Everyone, has, this is a vault room. People subscribe to this. Shit. People are going to be mad. You want to make people mad at us? Well, they would be mad at Third Man, and that's that's fine. They would be mad at the ghost. Uh, people complain about it. by association. Yeah, people have been looking for. I mean, this kind of album is what the vault's all about, anyway. I mean, this is some of the best music that. A lot of people who are already subscribed either have difficulty getting the music or in their collection or haven't even heard because they're new fans or something like that. You know, so this is the kind of stuff that people want. Even if Jack's guitars were silent, dead silent, I think this is <laughs> perfect for that. No, you're wrong. <laughs> if Jack's guitars well, were dead that's... silent, that would be a big problem. Are you kidding me? Jack would love to make people angry like that. I think he would get a kick out of that. <laughs> is that what he does? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, looking at some of the photos that are included in the book from there that were taken by Pat Pantano, the live set photos at least, they look really intense. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the stage show when the What You Doing lineup was together? Yeah, so the go was already kind of popular when Jack joined the band. Um, <laughs> and then it seemed to be, you know, it just, it was right, I mean, God, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess my memory is a little fuzzy, but it's like there, like I said, there was a Detroit, a strong Detroit rock scene already. The go joined into that early on, kinda, you know, and then it just kept growing. So the go was already pretty kind of popular. 
for time when Jack joined, that's when also we wrote, you know, the songs that people really wanted to hear that we started doing like covers. I don't know how long Dave was in the band before Jack joined the band. Dave knew have brought a lot to the band because he was, he was more of like the record collector and he was DJ, you know, um, in fact, keep on trash was the name of John from the henchmen and Dave's, DJ night, keep on trash. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and the, the, and the reason why they call it keep on trash is because some guy from like Germany wrote them a letter, wrote Dave a letter, Italy Records, about how he loves the records, and that, and Dave thought it was really cool that he signed off with keep on trash because Dave sort of took that as kind of like broken English in a way, like you kind of get this great saying wrong, so it kind of became. You know, the guy said, instead of saying, like, keep on rocking, he said, keep on trash. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But anyway, so Dave went into the band, like, in terms of cool covers and things. So we would do, we did, like, the Sonics, Psycho. also record collectors and sort of people in that scene to the show more like you know because we obviously were aligning with what they they appreciated they liked you know and and so like me and john would bring stuff like the thugs you know we were into like that stuff so that was kind of people would like that too the live show so at that time we were doing like psycho by the sonics we did um hey jim by uh, oh, yeah. Donovan, we did a, a version of that, and Third Man put out a record too in, in another box set of yeah, yeah. Go Live. It's a great. Uh, yeah, it's great. Hey, is on that one, I believe. Hey, Jip is on that one. Yeah. Yeah, so the live shows were just fun. There was a lot of people packed in, and the, the gold dollar was very small. So, I mean, it was like 150 people, and it was like, you know, somebody's going to call a fire marshal or something. It was, not, <laughs> it was super small. Yeah, well, I think there was probably a lot about that building that wasn't quite up to code. Uh, R.I.P. Gold dollar. Oh, yeah, it burned down. Yeah, it burned yeah. down. That's right. Well, no, they they packed them in, and I mean, they would, you know, and you could you were not turned away at the gold dollar, so people would squeeze people in no matter what. Um, if ever that place would have started on fire back on, everyone would have died. It yeah. just that would have been it. Everyone, 
the entire Detroit rock scene would have been dead in one night. <laughs> but yeah, when we went on stage, it was just, you know, kids figuring out what to do. You know, I didn't have an instrument. And I didn't, uh, by the way, I was a guitar player mm-hmm. and a bass player. I was really a bass player. I stopped playing the bass and stopped playing an instrument on stage and just took the microphone because I thought that that's just what Detroit needed. <laughs> oh, Detroit, like this. Honestly, I thought, well, you know, I kind of looked around. There were some people that sometimes there were singers. Like, I thought, oh, well, the go, Detroit could use another band that just has a singer. And honest to God, that's why I like started to just sing with like a microphone because yeah. it's just yeah. like filling the order of whatever it is that's serving Detroit and its needs. You know, yeah. it's weird. I, I don't know if it's because we're from Michigan or something where we think like that or think of songs as being staff songwriters or just kind of sort of like this blue collar kind of this is the way things have to be made. You have to make things. And it's we're part of a team. Or, part of the union. I don't know. Fuck out of <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, so I, I started singing on the, on the microphone without an instrument because I thought that's what Detroit needs. Another one of those bands. That's how we'll contribute. We're going to do our part. You know, let's go to somebody in somebody's house. You have dinner, you're going to do the dishes. Well, that's what we're going to do. Okay. We'll bring this to the scene. You've got the energy in these photos, like some kind of combination of Robert Plant and, I don't know, Mick Jagger. Like, there's, there's some weird energy. Like, it's good. You look great up there. Well, I appreciate you saying that to know that, because I couldn't fucking dance to save my life. So I had to have, like, a ton of energy, right? Like, I just went up there, and I don't know, I don't know what to do. I mean, if someone just stick, if you go on stage and you don't have an instrument, like, what the fuck do you do during the guitar solo? You have a couple options. You can kind of jump a little bit. You can kind of like wa- watch them. <laughs> you can jump you know? a little bit. You know kind of like maybe you swing the mic around a little. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, go go hang out with oh, the. Yeah, actually, I agree with you. Somebody should go up there and just jump a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, their, that's their move. There's a reason Steven Tyler goes up to the stage with a shit ton of scarves because he needs something to play with while he's up there. He's just. Otherwise, you're just fiddling around. Oh, well, that's genius. I real, really, that's genius. Like when you when you look at like the Woodstock footage and you see Roger Daltrey with the fringe. Yeah. Oh my God, it's lifestyle. It's like, well, shit, that's the way to do it. Why throw your body all over the place? You can just move a little bit. It looks like a ton of motions yeah. going on. That's why, uh, that's why superheroes have capes, so we can see the uh, energy and the movement. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, you know, I couldn't have worn a cape. <laughs> well, I wasn't suggesting you wear a cape. <laughs> Although I feel like Daltrey had a couple capes throughout the 70s, now that I'm thinking about it. You can wear a cape. <laughs> My dancers left you behind. It took that long just to get to me. So I hope you guys have time because <laughs> you know, we're going to be here until tomorrow. We're going to be here until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> And then the rest of the guys, we're just, we were just young guys, you know, live, we're just young guys trying to figure it all out. I mean, Jack couldn't tune his guitar, ever, never. <laughs> it never worked. It was never in tune. His amps were breaking down all the time. You know that stuff that he likes to say about how he likes to have challenges? Well, let me tell you, his guitar's never in tune. His amp was breaking down constantly. You know, Dave Buick just learned how to play the bass like a month ago. I swear to God. When we went and got Dave to play the bass, he wasn't, he didn't play an instrument before. But I liked Dave so much. And I said, you got to come and play the bass for the band. And he just said, okay. 
and then he got to practice and we had a decent amount of play the bass. Um, and that's a real thing. That's real. So Dave didn't know how to play the bass. Jack knew how to play the guitar. He's always a great, great guitar player, amazing guitar player. Um, but his guitar would never fuck his tangents. He insisted on playing those cheap guitars and then his amplifiers would break down all the time. So it was really a struggle. You know, it was like five guys on stage struggling to just kind of make it through a show self-conscious because, you know, there's girls and beer and, you know, people looking at you. And it, was, it was crazy. It was fun as fuck, though. Yeah. I wish there was a venue around here that I could kind of experience something like that. I'm in Allentown right now, and the closest we have is a steel factory where occasionally some people play. But just... <laughs> you hear yourself right now? That's amazing. And I wish I had a bar or something I could go to, but the closest thing we have is a steel factory. <laughs> That is great. But, you know, I have to go down into the coal mine. The bird is long yeah. since dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So they put on shows at the steel factory? What do they do? Yeah, yeah occasionally, occasionally. They'll do some art and stuff there. They have, like, a venue there because most of it's abandoned because they don't make steel anymore. Yeah. There's a lot of abandoned buildings around here, which I know Detroit's fallen uh, victim to that as well. That's what was cool about it back then. You got your abandoned steel mill. Well, in Detroit, there was abandoned all kinds of shit. And yeah. people would put on shows, and there was a place called the Bohemian National Home, which had like a hole in the ceiling, and you had to park in four foot grass to, you know, <laughs> park your car in four foot grass and then wade through it to get to the venue because no one cut the lawn in it. It's an abandoned building. But that's the thing about the 1998s, let's just say, in Detroit, is it was real lawless. Yeah. So. What was cool is that you could just go and be at the Gold Dollar, and that place would, and now you can say it because it's fucking closed and no one cares, but that place would just stay open. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to have a bar open past two. That place was just going to close when it decided to close, and no one gave a fuck. And, like, even the, even the Magic Stick way back then, the Majestic Theater, and now I don't, I haven't set foot in there in a while, but way back then, they would, because no one gave a shit, there were like no cops, no one cared, and maybe if there were cops, oh, the cops had their own place, where the cop, you could go drink at the cop joint, and that place was sailed open all night long, you could go drink with the cops. Um, <laughs> but, it's, it's real, it's lawless, I'm telling you, but like in the Magic School, Time's up, 2 o'clock in the morning. They'd kick everybody out unless you were friends with the bartender or, you know, in the bands or whatever. And then they just lock those doors. And not like a speakeasy or some shit that you see, like, in or a pub in England where they pull down the curtains or the big gate. No, the Magistrate has fucking picture windows all the way across the front. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, it would be packed full of, you know, kids doing shots, free shots, bleeding, you know, Dave Zania, who owns the Magic Stick Dry all night long. You know, would have stopped the drive. But that's what, it, that's what it was like in Detroit, and it was so cool. The Magic Stick upstairs, oh my God. In the early days, you'd go up there and you couldn't see. I mean, it was dark, dark as shit. 
So imagine, and you can smoke, of course, inside. So it's just, it's weird, you know? It's like everyone's smoking. It's so f***ing dark you can't see. There's velvet couches. There's people doing God knows what on the velvet couches. <laughs> trying to see a little bit, you know? And I mean, we know what. A bunch of pool tables. <laughs> yeah. And people pouring shots. You know, you go to the bartender, you go, if you want to do a shot, you know what that's code for. Yeah. I don't have any yeah. money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> once the bartender got f***ed up, man. Holy moly. Did Neil Yee ever have to chase anybody out with a broom or some such? Uh, yeah, not with, you know, I mean, Neil was cool. Neil had, Neil had to be an adult. Ah. And it's funny because I think Neil and I are pretty much the same age. Maybe he's being five. Maybe he's five years older than me or something. I don't know. Oh, but So he chased people out with a shotgun is what you're saying. <laughs> he was nice. No, he, he'd have to get people rides home. People would get too fucked up and he'd have to get them right home. Uh, you know? Good guy, Neil. No, Neil wanted to open an art space. That's what he wanted. He wanted like... So, yeah, it's really poor Neil. So he went into the gold dollar with the intention of putting together like... Like bringing together the, this like like an art rock scene or something or experimental cool noise music or some shit. The next thing you know, you know, guys with belt buckles are coming in that are ordering you know shots of fucking Jameson <laughs> playing through you know Marshall Stacks, <laughs> that, and that's what his club turned into. It was a hostile takeover. Oh no! You know because nobody really cared about the experimental stuff, which is sort of true and not true. There's groups like Wolf Eyes. Yeah, everybody yeah. loved that was different but they also had the common denominator and something about a, the way that they were it all made sense so that's something too in Detroit at that time is you had groups like you know Wolf Eyes playing with groups like The Go um, on the same bill with like the Clone Defax and the Piranhas like you got like punk bands noise bands and rock bands that are all kind of they all love each other because there's those threads of the, those record collections, there's threads of that throughout the music that everyone could identify, right. you know. So a group like Wolf Eyes, well, the common denominator between me and like John Olson, I remember one time when we became friends for the first time, John played on our second record, um, but was the Fugs, speaking of the Fugs earlier. Yeah. You know, John, we did a Fugs cover of I Want to Know, and then... John Olson came up to me and said, you like the Fugs? Like, yeah, f***ing, what do you think? Of course I like the Fugs. You know, and then that was, oh, okay. You know, that yeah. was cool. You know, right, so right. They, I like the Fugs. John Olson liked the Fugs. I mean, it didn't sound like the Fugs. Right, but that's right. what we were into. Sure. You know, like I didn't, I didn't sit at home and listen to Buck Cherry. I'm sorry I'm bad. I'm sorry I'm bad. I'm sorry about all the things I said. Listen to like the Beatles and Miles Davis. Yeah, records, yeah you right, know? right. There's another famous Cherry that, or, uh, well, not Cherry, but a Jerry that we're going to get to in just a second here in our. So James and I have prepared, and we hope you're ready for this. We didn't prepare you at all, but we've prepared a lightning round here where we're going to shoot some rapid fire weird questions at you. And, uh, you know, hopefully by the end of that, we'll all be alive with our souls intact. I'm not ready for this at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not either. I like the description of this, though. It's great. <laughs> are you ready to get, are you ready, hey, Bobby Harlow, are you ready to get weird? 
Can I have the rules? Oh, can I? Can you tell me the rules first? It's just some questions that'll be quicker. But they're going to be weird. That's the thing. Like when we yeah. do the lightning rounds, they're always the weird ones. And we've got a really weird one to start out with here. And if you don't like any, just say pass. I can pass? You can pass. All right. If you pass, I will be personally disappointed. Oh. I'm not going to pass. I, I will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're going to start some music It's going to be in post, it's going to sound seamless I promise James, fire away Start the scene now Uh, Alright, so How fast do I have to answer? Is this like word association? (laughs) You can answer as as fast or as slow as you want We need some more info on this Because we had heard Mungo Jerry pop his head into the studio While recording the self-titled album uh, was yeah. he just in the studio? Was he recording? Did you jam to In the Summertime? We need to know more. <laughs> Mungo Jerry was upstairs in an adjacent studio. And okay. um, it, this is England, because England is this way. So Mungo Jerry could just be upstairs at any time. Mungo Jerry came downstairs and um, popped his head into the studio. And I was talking with him. I didn't know who he was. And I was talking to him. And... Uh, I was like, yeah, you are. You want to listen? Here you go. And so he's like, pops us in the studio and he says, you know, oh, wait, that's real rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, what what did, <laughs> he, he apparently came out with a line of big juice that we found out about called the Mungo Cherry, which I've been obsessed with the name uh, and the pun ever since. Yeah, have you ever tried Mungo Jerry's vape juice? Vape juice? Yeah, Mungo Jerry's Mungo Jerry's brand of vape juice. That's the second question of the lightning round. Vape juice? Yeah. Is it clean or does he make it in a bathtub? When you breathe in, apparently it's supposed to taste like mango, and when you breathe out, it's supposed to taste like cherry. Neither me nor Paul vape, nor do we care about it, but we do care that Mungo Jerry has made his own, and we get obsessed with it. I am now obsessed that he could have made it like bathtub gin. <laughs> vape juice. <laughs> is, is vape juice now code for math? <laughs> now that's know. real vape juice. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the, so, the, <laughs> so the ghost first show was at a Polish banquet hall. What's your favorite Polish food? Um, pierogies, I guess. Pierogi. All right. All right. Pierogi. It's not plural. Pierogi. We'll take that. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Who doesn't like pierogi? I, I mean, no one. No one doesn't like it. <laughs> Abbey Road is a favorite Beatle record of ours, as well as what we read is yours, too. At least yeah. in an interview we read. Here's the real question, though. What's your least favorite Beatles album? Oh, God. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, my least favorite, uh, yeah, is... I hate to say it. I hope nobody's pissed at me when I'm done answering this question. But it's uh, help. Help? I just don't listen to help that much. I'm sick of it. You take Beatles for sale over help? No, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just very interested. I'm just very interested. Here's, here's how I will console myself. I'll just assume you listened to the soundtrack version of Help, which includes the weird cutaways to classical. <laughs> well, see, I like that one better. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, for real. But the, there are no bad Beatle records. There's yeah. no such yeah. thing. How yeah. do you, yeah. It's hard. I'm. I. I almost said Yellow Submarine because of the B side. But the fact of the matter is, is the fucking A side is 
Amazing. Yes. Well, I have one more Beatle-themed lightning round question I'll get to here. The abrupt cutoff at the end of Inside a Hole. Is that a reference to I Want You, She's So Heavy, or no? Dude, they're all references to I Want You, She's So Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a song that I've ever recorded that isn't a reference to I Want You, She's So Heavy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I just get all my ideas from the Beatles. You just go listen to the Beatles. <laughs> so, honestly, that's, that, you know, that's... That's why I probably make records, I guess. Well, we did say that was the last Beatle-related question, but I have a solo Beatle-related question. In a Desert Island scenario where you'd bring one album, except it's an 80s McCartney album, what's the one you pick? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A Desert Island record? Any any record? It's got, specifically 80s McCartney. It's yeah. got to be an it's 80s McCartney record. So is, is it a Desert Island Beatle record or is it a Desert Island record? No, it's got to be an 80s McCartney album you're taking to the Desert Island, but it's got to be 80s oh. McCartney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I know which one that is. It's the one with uh, Pipes of Peace on it. Oh, Pipes oh, of fantastic. Peace. That's a good choice. Hey, that's the one we brought. Oh, yeah. that, that's the one we gave to Co. I think James. I think we we I think yeah. <laughs> we I sent. Think Co wanted it. We <laughs> also sent Co to the island, and we gave her pipes of peace. And we don't think she's very happy with pipes of peace. Well, I, I think just with a solo McCartney album from the '80s, <laughs> which we both love. Well, hey, James and I are huge. Some uh, people, yeah. some people's children, right? Yes. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Um, so we noticed that Tom Potter was thanked on the self-titled album as well. Uh, Potter's reputation precedes him. He's been a friend of the show, and we've had fun talking to him. But everyone seems to have a Potter story. Do you have a Potter story for us? A Tom Potter story? Sheesh. So Bantam Rooster and Tom Potter. Um, no, I don't really... I don't have a personal Tom Potter experience. I, <laughs> Tom and I... We we would like hang out at the bar and and have fun and have good conversations and, and I just I think it's Tom Potter I just think he's a, a smiley kind of good guy kind of solid guy but I once heard that Tom punched Dave Buick in the back of the head well um, in a van <laughs> wow this isn't this isn't Co's missing van is it I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, I guess that happened. So then I was pretty surprised because that seemed uh, just not, that seemed out of character at the time. However, you know, we all had our moments, so. All right. (laughs) If you got to punch somebody in the back of the head, it may as well be in a van. Well, if anyone's going to get punched in the back of the head, it's going to be Dave. Keep on trash, Dave. Um, you, uh, you had mentioned in an interview uh, with the blog, Turn It Down, that a part of the reason you left Arizona, aside from the student body seemed kind of closed off to new ideas and the uh, depressing winter foliage, was that you were being haunted by ghosts? Was this a metaphor, or did you actually experience some paranormal shenanigans? I don't know. That sounds like a that sounds like a you did experience this paranormal shenanigan. Yeah. No, uh yeah. Now it's my my cousin Vicky has apparently some issue with a ghost that follows her around. It's a you know, it's a child, of course it is, because why are why are we so scared of child ghosts? It's extra creepy. Now that we're all parents, we yeah. look at child ghosts differently, don't we? Yes. Well, yeah. Okay. Although, uh, right. from what I hear from some other parent friends of mine, uh, when kids become a certain age, they start, you know, 
imagining things and then telling you about their day and being like, yeah, this little girl in my room told me to do this thing. And then there's no little girl in the room. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, well, that's, that's terrifying. So. You know, I, I've got a 10 year old. I got to tell you, I, none of my kids, there's, they, they've never done anything scary. Even if they were to say that, it's not scary because you're their dad. So, you know, if you, you care about your kids. But anyway, um, so yeah, Arizona, my cousin, Vicky, she had uh, apparently a thing with ghosts. And uh, so one night we were sitting, she was moving from an apartment to a house. And she, her apartment was pretty vacant. And my girlfriend at the time, and I, we would stay wherever Vicky was not because we wanted our privacy because, you know, I was, whatever, 18 years old. So we didn't, you know. Right. Anyway. Naturally. Point being, so we were in this apartment with Vicky. It was like a condo, I guess it was a condo. And um, we were sitting on the floor and I was just really getting to know Vicky. I went out there to stay with some family because why not? And, um, but I didn't really know her. So we were sitting on the floor. Of course I'm going to ask her questions about ghosts. I'm, I'm 18 years old, you know? There's no way I'm going to know that you've got ghosts and you're not going to tell me about it. It's, it's impossible. I won't take no for an answer, which was exactly the case. So, um, I kept pressing Vicky. She was like having a glass of wine. I was sitting there and I kept pressing her, like, tell me about these ghost stories. Tell me all this stuff. And she's like, nice, you know, no, I don't want to talk about it. And then she wouldn't talk about it. And we're sitting there, there's no music on. We're in this empty condo. Like, what the fuck? What do you mean you're not going to tell me about these ghosts? I kept pressing her until she actually got pissed at me. This was like day one that we're in town, staying with um, my cousin. And who's older, by the way, I should mention she's older. She was like, 20 years older than me so it's awkward and then she gets angry with me and now the room just like dies out like oh f did she actually just yell at me about asking her about ghosts like i think this lady's crazy you know so she but then she gets up it's quiet as f in the room because no one's talking now because my cousin just yelled at me over some weird shit she stands up and she goes to the front door and she opens the door there's nobody at the door, right? But she just opens the door like she's letting somebody in, swear to God. And then when she opens the door, something whispers in my ear. Whoa. Oh my God. Whoa. Yeah. Like, like real close, like close mic style in my ear. Something says something, some word that I don't even understand, but whispers it right in my ear. And then Vicky closes the door. Then she comes back, sits down on the friggin' floor, and starts drinking her wine like nothing happened. Man, I looked at my girlfriend. I was like, did you, what the f*** was that? And then it's awkward because she just yelled at me. So after Vicky leaves, because she went back to her house and me and this girl stayed at the condo, I told her all about it and weird shit started to happen. I don't know if you want to hear about it, but that's like a whole other conversation. So those short, so that's oh one God. little story. But the long, or the short answer is, yeah, some weird shit went on. Wow, Do I wow. believe in ghosts? I don't know, but I'll say some really weird stuff happened. Wow. Wowzers. Uh, Here's what the ghost said. It said, Life's a piece. I love that album, man. <laughs> 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 but I'll tell you this, too. So she was friends with Perry Farrell because my cousin was a seamstress. So she would sew, like, leather stuff. So she, she apparently sewed 
she made that outfit for Cher when Cher was on like the boat with the sailors, some crazy ass song. Oh yeah, if I could turn back time. Turn back time. So she made, so my cousin made that outfit. And then I guess she was so close to like Bon Jovi and she told me like she had to sew some special pair of leather pants. She had to make like a little hole on the sew around it. So some tattoo on it. Oh, okay. I was like, it, it was. Whatever. It's not a dick hole, is it? Because that, that would be the. <laughs> you know, maybe she came to Cleveland. Right? Uh, but bon Joey goes to the leather seamstress. Is like, listen, I have these pair of leather pants. <laughs> I need a hole. But I'm gonna need. I'm just gonna need a hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, so she apparently was friends with Perry Farrell. So this is weird. So so she's friends with Perry Farrell. And she, the whole, the reason why she was so pissed about me asking about ghosts, according to Vicky, is that she got rid of them. They've been a problem. She got rid of them. And she said, like, they moved with furniture and stuff. She said all kinds of shit. And she said, but she got rid of the ghosts. And she was moving into a house and she was mad. She addressed this later on. She was angry with me because she doesn't want to attract it. She's like, you talk about them and they're attracted to it. She wanted to do this whole thing. So whatever. Well, like six months later, after I'm long gone, apparently Harry Farrell was in town and he went over to her house and was walking through her house. And I guess this is it was the weirdest conversation ever. But, <laughs> but we're all happy right now. <laughs> I did not see this going in this direction. So well, we're here, you know. Let's get weird. <laughs> so well. So anyway. A, Apparently, Perry Farrell is some kind of psychic. I don't know. Wait, Jadzia Dex. No, Terry that's Farrell. that's Terry Farrell. Okay. No, Perry Farrell from the Terry from the band Jane's Addiction. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. Not the beloved Trill officer on the Star Trek Deep Space Nine television series. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And, and James, I only know that because I thought the exact same thing for like a while. I was like, first of all, how have we not talked about the fact that you know Gen Z and Dex? All right. Sorry. Perry Farrell. Singer of James Addiction. Right. Apparently, um, he and the guy who did Lollapalooza, right? Isn't he responsible for that? Did you do that? Did, did Perry Farrell do Is that his? That may have also been uh, Terry Farrell Television's Gen Z attacks. I don't know. He's come to steal my symbiont. Just Wikipedia him? Yes, he did. He created a lot of Okay. Well, anyway, this guy is apparently some kind of psychic, and he goes into my cousin Vicky's house and then walks into a room and says, oh, we have a guest. You have guests, or you have a guest. And she says, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, there's a little girl in here. You know, and so she got her ghost back. Where's your shit? You got me. I don't know. I just work here. I don't know oh, this shit up. I don't know. Wouldn't it have been hilarious, though, if Perry Farrell was talking about himself in the third person, though? Like, you've got to guess. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Oh. It's well the creator, Perry Farrell. What <laughs> <laughs> do you serve your guests? <laughs> So from one paranormal conversation to another extra normal conversation, these last two questions here for the lightning round come from friend of the show, Jarrett Coral, uh, Jet Plastic Recordings founder and Go super fan. Jarrett asks, how many times did the Go perform your cover of Hey Ya live? Oh, once. Just the we once. Just that once. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. We did it one time. Just the yeah, one just, time. We did Hey Ya because uh, it was so goddamn good. And then I remember talking with everybody by the time. It was a little past, I think. And I didn't even out for a while, so. But we thought, like, well, you know, that's what they used to do back in the day. They would, you know, rock bands and R&B groups and Motown groups would cover whoever's popular at the time. It would just be like that. So, right. And we just heard, hey, yeah, like, oh, like the Outcast, like the, the, the best rap group at the time yes. just yes. recorded the best rock song. Yeah. Of the moment. Right. Like, this, world is, this is crazy. Like, rock and rollers cannot f***ing write anything anymore. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. The rappers are not only the best rappers, but now they're the best rockers, too. That we did a very good hey ya. It was okay. Yeah. It's all right. Hey ya. That's two. You have now performed it twice. You've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, twice. <laughs> nice. Our last question from Jarrett is Will you have he lunch? Had two questions? He had two questions. His last one here is uh, Will you have lunch with him in Ann Arbor next weekend? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a terrible question. I can't believe you waste people's time with that question. <laughs> <laughs> time waster. It's the lightning what, what round. What Jared is asking is, you have guests. And by guests, <laughs> you mean he needs him. <laughs> I mean, Jared had this opportunity to be like part of a, a, of a popular podcast. <laughs> just blew it. <laughs> just blew it. <laughs> well, let's put let's go let's go ahead and give some big old air quotes to popular. And uh, we would also like to take this opportunity. Thank you, Bobby, so much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. It's got you look. It got crazy, but you know we knew that. I mean, we at least yeah. I knew that going in, and and you guessed it pretty early on. So thank you so much. We love your music so much. When you write songs and when you perform with the Go, and we're looking forward to hearing your solo record. I think James and I really do feel those in a, in a very real way. We talked about realness a lot on this show today, and there's been songs from Go Records beyond the beyond. I I had stuck in my head for like a month. Like there, it's stuff that really. Uh, that really touches us both. So we're uh, great admirers of your work and thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on guys. I appreciate it. It's been uh, fun. And thanks for all the kind words. Oh yeah. Well, of course. And this is, this is good. just blowing smoke up your ass, but Howl on the Haunted Beat You Ride is one of the few records I listen to on a monthly basis. Like I put that on 
all the time. It is so good. Thank you for that awesome, awesome music. And thank you for being on the You're show. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. It's so good. It's so good. James is going to send you his yeah. fan artwork now, and it's going to be <laughs> explicit. Can you cut a hole in this? Oh, okay. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You're amazing. <laughs> thank you. James, we learned so much during this interview. We want to thank Mr. Harlow again for joining us. We're big fans of his music. If you haven't listened to The Go, first of all, what are you doing? What you doing? Yeah, what you doing? Get on that haunted beat you ride. I'm a big Fiesta fan. I really love this record. I gotta tell you, I became obsessed with Beyond the Beyond. I play it a lot, a gross beyond amount. Beyond the beyond, beyond, the beyond, beyond. Oh, it's good. It's a catchy little number. Love that one. Love the go. So happy to talk to Bobby. You know, we really appreciate his time. Appreciate him coming on. Yeah, super chill dude. Super friendly and loads of stories. Thank you so much, Bobby, for for being on. And we hope he'll come back sometime and that my audio won't be complete garbage next time. Yeah, maybe James's audio won't be complete garbage. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna breeze through some other thank yous here. We'd like to, of course, thank our Patreon patrons such as Stu Cat, uh, Stuart Peskin, Martyr for our love. For Stu, thank you very much, Stu. Of course, Josh Aiken or Joe shaking all over. We would like to thank, of course, Brett Garski or the Brett 3. Killed my Garski. Thank you very much, Brett. Uh, Luke Sinclair, Luke me over closely. Thank you very much, Luke. Tam Davis, our third person spirit every week. Uh, Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Yvette Wilkins, uh, Wilkin on Sunshine. Uh, Brenda Engelhart. I feel like we had one. I want to be the boy to, to warm your Engelhart. Yes. Not our best, but definitely not our worst. Not our worst at all. So thank you very much. Uh, all our Patreon patrons really appreciate that. Very nice of you. If you would like to be a shout out in this Patreon segment, you can donate to the show, help keep our lights on a little bit. You can find out more on patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, or you can listen to the ad at the end of the show and figure out how to do that. And if you'd like to, that'd be great. If you don't, that's fine. We'd like to keep this free for everybody. But, you know, yeah, podcasting's expensive, so whatever you could throw us is good enough. Even if that's just a simple, hey, thanks. We'll, we'll appreciate that, including, but not limited to, a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. iTunes, Google Play, all that stuff. And if you rate it five stars and include a pun of some variety and send that over to our email, then I will draw you a listenership, I think is the deal that I made. I'll draw you that and I'll mail it to you and uh, that'll be yours to keep. Yeah, perhaps our least enticing of all the various contests. It's really not good. How about I'll put, how about Teen for Tita? I'll draw <gasps> you a Teen for Tita. If you send a, okay, all right, go to iTunes, you maniacs. Get on there. Radar show five stars, but then include one piece of Teen Fertita continuity or lore, an aspect of Teen Fertita's personality, a love interest, his favorite sports game. Perhaps outline a mystery that he has to solve. A, a mystery, past. yes, for him to solve. James will then draw an image of Teen Fertita. And send that to you if you if you send it to our email address, which is of course thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, so do that. We're gonna keep 
this teen Fertitta thing alive. It's been alive mm-hmm. in our hearts for the last, I want to say, hour and a half, maybe a little more, because we ran, we did run long talking about Teen Fertitta earlier. Yes. And I'm kind of fine with it. And if somehow someone can communicate to Dean Fertitta that we are pitching a Teen Fertitta either cartoon or adventure book series, that would be great. I don't even have an incentive for you to do that other than somebody please do that. Somebody out there is bound to know Dean Fertitta. Somebody out there is bound to be Hannah or Barbara. Maybe hash. Let's get the hashtag Teen Fertitta going. All right. So other social media stuff you could do. Facebook.com slash Third Men. You go to Twitter at Third Mencast. Go to Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You press our words on our WordPress page, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. That's where we have the show there uh, as we mentioned send us an email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com Pippa hosts our show we thank Pippa very much you can visit our YouTube page that's youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast James has a lot of animations up there there's bound to be a teen for Tito one eventually I'm very excited about that as we mentioned please rate review and subscribe and we'd like to thank Sam Kewer and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song We're the Third Men as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program and James I think that's going to do it for us this week I think that'll do it and Paul I will be looking for a home in the past with Teen Fertitta solving <laughs> mysteries <laughs> And I'm just going to be writing this fanfic all night. I don't even need a home anymore. My home is now Teen Fertitta. That's all I need. Good night. (laughs) For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Had a good whack for good measure. Oof. Nope. <laughs> Let's not do that. Dick. Yeah, that's what we were. It's what we were uh, trying to avoid there, Paul. Anyway. Susie, Cusie, you're the girl of my dreams. You take me to the other side. I'm so excited, gonna bust at the seams. Our love could never be denied. I'll take you round the block on a bicycle ride. I wonder where you go that way. I melt like photo when I see your face. You're as pretty as a sunny day. Beyond the beyond, you beyond, beyond, beyond the beyond, you beyond, beyond, beyond the beyond, you beyond, beyond, beyond the beyond. Girl, we got
Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.